Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Ad News Pubcast. The podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Welcome to the Ad News Podcast, recorded at Forbes Street Studios. I'm digital editor Lindsay Bennett, and today I'm joined by editor Pippa Chambers to talk about the biggest stories across Adland this week. Absent today is reporter Josh McDonnell, who is currently on vacation in Vietnam. Later, I'll be joined by MNC Saatchi's Tom McFarlane and Tom Derry, better known as the Toms. Today, we'll be discussing the Alan Jones Opera House saga, as well as the fight brewing between Facebook and the wider TV industry. RGA's big consultancy play and the slew of global pitches that have been decided this week. No story has dominated the headlines like the Alan Jones Opera House advertising explosion. It started with Alan Jones calling for Opera House CEO Louise Heron to approve ads for the Everest horse race to be broadcast on the sales of the iconic landmark. Then came allegations that Alan bullied Louise, then a petition, then a protest. It was basically the perfect swell of media headlines and was covered by every major publication in Australia, including Ad News. It's actually not the first time a brand has been broadcast on the Opera House. Samsung advertised on the sales in 2013 and the the Wallabies logo has also been broadcast on the sales and it's often used for Vivid. Pippa, I know you have some strong thoughts on this. What did you think of the whole fiasco? I mean, you know, I, I know I'm not alone in this. I think the whole thing just seemed like a, a, a disaster, a sad state of affairs. I really feel for the CEO. I think she was just incredibly undermined. Um, and it, I, 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 I'm still amazed about the whole thing, really. You know, the Opera House is an incredible, you know, heritage building, so much unique history. And to be blasting gambling, gambling ads of any, you know, this isn't, you know, donate to charity or, you know, give blood or something that could, you know, be more forgiving for an advertising. But for gambling, uh, you know, something that, you know, is also a big issue. You know, Australians are the world's most prolific gamblers based on per capita spending uh you know there's a lot of issues health problems you know associated with gambling and i I mean i know i'm talking about broader versions of gambling uh pokies and whatnot but i I just don't think it was a a good brand a good event to align with with something as as incredibly um you know historic and important to us as as the opera house and i think you know some of the conversations things such as uh you know alan saying that louise should be sacked and i I just think it got got a bit nasty um and yeah i just was not a fan and also i really feel that 
you know, if we want to advertise this event, there's plenty of other opportunities and things that we could have done. Hire a massive blimp, hire Roxy Jasenko. Like, you could do something different. I really don't think we're at the point where we need to be projecting uh, this onto the Opera House. Do you think maybe if it was a tourism ad, uh, obviously Samsung um, projected so, some artwork, I think it was in 2013. Like, do you think the Opera House can be used, but just not for something as controversial as gambling in Gambling Awareness Week, I might add? Oh, that's even worse. You know, the Opera House is an advert in itself. I don't think we need to be projecting it. You know, something incredible, artistic, like Vivid. There's some, you know, amazing uh, showcases of art. And I think that's suitable. That aligns. Um, Samsung, I I can't quite recall what what that looked like or or how that brand partnership worked out. I think it was, yeah, more more on the art skew and they did a lot of uh, of other things. But um, I I just don't think there's really a place. I don't think we need to do this. I think we just need to calm down and, you know, hire a big billboard up on the highway or just do something different. Is there not enough outdoor advertising? Maybe APN and O-Media and all of them need to get on it. Do you think the Australian media media just loves to attack Alan Jones? Anytime we write about him, our stats go crazy. And this week, the, the activist group Sleeping Giants targeted Alan Jones advertisers to try and get them to boycott 2GB. Why do we hate Alan Jones? <laughs> I mean, you know, certain things you've got it coming and you have to copy it. And I think that's part of his appeal, part of the, you know, the rating success for, for you know, Macquarie Media. Um, I just think a lot of the time he has it coming, he seems to be able to handle it. And I'm not sure he really gives a shit, to be honest. They seem to be coughing up those fines and, and ju- just dealing with it. Yeah, I think I think Alan Jones is one of those people that really parallel Carl Sanderlands. Everyone loves to hate him, and I still think the Sydney Opera House explosion, you know, with the protests, would have happened if he wasn't involved. But I think Alan Jones adds a little bit of fuel to the fire because you know any media organisation, including us, knows that it's going to register and will quickly pick up that story. And it, it you know, it led to those huge protests with. Um, Protesters shining lights lights to kind of destroy the advertising, which is kind of hilarious. Which was great for the lighting company that thought to do that. I was like, that's a great bit of sleuth advertising there. Um, I'm sure actually there could have been some other, uh, you know, brands that jump on the on the bandwagon, like uh, the Banksy. The Banksy shredding, and you had Maccas and coat jumping on that. I'm sure there probably could have been some other. Um... Yeah, some. I would have liked to see some brands take a stand. Or, you know, I did speak to some marketers. Um, IAG CMO Brent Smart. He was just, you know, completely said it, it's inappropriate, and that's from someone who could use the reach of the Opera House. Um, Andy Lark from Foxtel was a bit on the fence, uh, which kind of aligns with the News Corp stance on the issue, which was, you know, it, it should be able to advertise. They obviously have a big stake in gambling businesses. Um, well, I guess, you know, it wasn't the only controversial uh, things going on this week. So we saw Facebook uh, have a bit of a, a swing back at th- uh, Think TV and I guess the wider TV industry uh, with quite a strongly worded opinion piece that was actually first published in the Ad News October magazine uh, subsequently went up online. Uh, we had Facebook head of strategy Dan King uh, and his opinion piece basically outlined the stats that since 2015, Linear TV uh, has lost 32% of its primetime audience in the 18 to 34 demographic 
demographics and 19% in the 25 to 54 dem- demographics. In contrast to the latest Deloitte media consumer surveys showed that 43% of respondents had a video streaming subscription such as Netflix, up 9% in 2014. You know, nothing new. We know we know about that. However, King argues that the this alarming shift to a non-advertiser funded platforms uh, has not been a major topic of industry chat uh, as much as it should be. Um, Lindsay, what do you think about Dan's opinion and, and him kind of, uh, you know, coming out quite strong there? Yeah, I loved the opinion. And I think it's really interesting to see Facebook fight back against Think TV, who have kind of been out there for the last few years slamming Facebook and other digital social platforms and promoting the power of TV for years. So say, are they slamming or are they just kind of sticking up for themselves in this in an industry where they have, you know, obviously been at a loss for, for certain... Yeah, probably sticking up for themselves. And now it's turning. And now Facebook, after, you know, probably a year, 18 months of bad press, Cambridge Analytica, the various data hacks, they're standing up for themselves like, I guess, TV has. I think, you know, I think Kim Portrait has done an amazing job. There's no question there. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that Think TV has kind of changed the discourse of Definitely. television in Australia. And, you know, it was perfect timing for them with the scandals that have plagued Facebook over the last year. Seems like they've really had the upper hand at every big media event all across the trade press. And they've been really out there. Uh, I'm not sure if their press efforts, you know, have driven the same results for ad spend in the TV category as there are as it has driven, I guess, the results for their own reputation, the reputation of TV. But either way, what they've done is is really impressive. But I think the Facebook opinion tells some serious truths. And I think a lot of people will clue on to what Dan is saying. Um, unlike the Think TV reports, which they commission their own research, he's quoting kind of external numbers. You know, they still get the independent, you know, let's not overlook, there's still the independent, you know, auditors that come in and conduct those uh, reports. But true, it obviously yeah, does definitely. align with... But I would say, like Think TV question Facebook's audiences uh, and reports and where they're getting that report from... It, I think Facebook is allowed to question yeah, of course. The, the numbers they use. Um, and, and Dan argues that the audiences on TV's BVOD platforms um, are only kind of a drop in the ocean compared to the audience that services like Netflix, Dan, Instagram, and of course Facebook are achieving. Um, and, you know, I think Facebook's been beaten up a lot. So I, I you know, any journalist likes a, a kind of a stoush and, you know, two kind of companies or businesses or, you know, kind of going back and forth. Um, but I like to see Facebook preparing to fight back. You know, it's kind of taken everything lying down for a yeah. bit. I mean, I guess it's had a lot of those beats coming. You know, some of those black eyes, it was, you know, due. We've had issues, you know, measurement and, and leaks and things like that. But I do agree. I think from a company that is used to very much, you know, we hear the global line and, you know, the global thing from Zuckerberg, you know, for, to have a local strong opinion come out like that, uh, it is interesting. Yeah, it's something needed. And I think I mean, just generally, there's a lack of strong opinions in the Australian market when you compare to overseas. Not really see, like in the C-suite, but in in terms of agencies, but marketers. And, uh, you know, I think Facebook has not had a strong voice. uh, And it's just, uh, you know, we love anyone, obviously, being journalists that will will fight for what they believe in. And I think Facebook has made a lot of changes to its privacy standards, um, security policies, technologies. And maybe it is the right time 
we're armed with those things to fight back. And I think we will hear a lot more from Facebook. I understand they've got, you know, they're planning some big kind of campaigns and uh, things like that. So I think, yeah, I think we'll see a lot more. Yeah. And I, I, you know, Dan has written a few things for us and I, I think, you know, he, he makes some valid points. You know, he, he didn't argue in this piece that you should scrap your TV spend completely, which I want to make, you know, that a, a clear point. But he's arguing that, you know, TV does need a complementary mobile strategy. And, you know, he did suggest that we should start looking at some of the data they use. Yeah, it's true. You know, they're, they're standing up for, for what they believe in. People, marketers will do what they will do. And and just the same as Think TV coming out, you know, with these surveys and, and as we said, Kim Portrait doing an excellent job. Um, the battle will rumble on. So it's certainly uh, interesting. Mm, I think uh, we'll probably see Think TV retaliating maybe next podcast. <laughs> yes, stay tuned. Um, okay, so so switching over from that, um, from TV to agencies. So RGA this week announced it's bringing its global consultancy offering to Australia. Um, Linz, you've written a lot about agencies moving in the consultancy space. You know, are we in danger of getting cons- consultancy fatigue here? Uh, what, do, what do you think of this move? Yeah, consultancy fatigue... Probably. I think uh, the word cagency is being used at the moment, which makes me feel a bit ill. Um, But yeah, every other week, another agency launches their own consultancy offering. TBWA has launched Disruption Labs this year. Omnicom bought Integer to Australia. Havas launched a brand strategy and consultancy firm. And Publicists and WPP have both made big plays in this space. Even the media groups are all, you know, pursuing consultancy plays. It's obviously a counterattack to the likes of Accenture, Deloitte, PwC, KPMG, entering and operating in this space. Um, but I actually think largely agencies just putting a stamp on what they've already done because um, mm, surely these they're consulting day in day out since the model began you know that that's just part and parcel of the job exactly it's just agencies responding to the trend that's out there at the moment I mean if you look back 18 months ago two years ago everyone launched a CX unit you don't really need to launch a new unit to have CX or consulting skills but uh, I think I think RGA's consultancy business has probably actually been operating in the shadows for some time, but it's definitely their way of putting a name on it um, and, yeah, just just getting their name out and getting some extra press, which is really something they have not done in Australia. Hmm. They have been incredibly, incredibly quiet, you know, under the leadership uh, leadership of Rebecca, um, who, you know, uh, we, we've covered a lot of RGA work and the things they're doing are, are really interesting. Um, but yeah, as you said, you know, compared to some of the other agencies, um, they're, they're definitely a lot quieter. Yeah, and I think they do have a good reputation. Every time I talk to other agencies about RGA, it's positive. I personally don't know them you know, a huge amount, but interview is coming. Stand yes, by. <laughs> but Rebecca Bazzino is very well respected. Um, but their reputation here in no way kind of matches their global business. Uh, we don't really hear much of their work, but you know, I kind of do think that's because they operate in the the digital transformation realm. Mm. Um, but what I did find the most interesting about the consultancy announcement was that they said they would disrupt the traditional and siloed approaches of companies like the Deloitte's and PwC and and those businesses. It's interesting to me because I don't really think of uh, the kind of consultancies as traditional anymore. You've got Accenture with the monkeys, PwC with Thinkabelt, Deloitte recruiting half of McCann. I just don't classify them as traditional. 
Siloed, maybe, because I've heard that. I've heard they're huge businesses. They actually need silos to function. So, yeah, you know, I would like to know more about how they will do that. And I guess, you know, we will see. Something for us to dig into. Okay, so someone who does get a lot of press uh, in stark contrast, uh, who's been in the headline this week uh, with its biggest client, um, is Ford uh, with WPP as it's moving its creative from WPP to BBDO. Um, They had serviced the account from a bespoke unit called GTB, which includes JWT and Mindshare and Wonderman. Um, But then they were also back in the news again this week uh, with Mindshare losing the global media account for Amex to IPG's UM. So those are some big, big, big clients coming out of Mindshare um, globally. Um, What's going on with the global pitches, Linz? Yeah, so it's definitely been a big week for Global Pitches, as well as just a big year, to be honest. It was also announced Dentsu won the global Intel business. Uh, just just on the, the Ford WPP thing, Mindshare still remains on that roster. Only the creative business shifted, yes, so we, we, won't, we won't take two big accounts from no, them. No. But yeah, I've definitely felt a little bit sorry for WPP this week. Uh, they, they're two significant losses for the holding company. And what is sad is they, they actually have massive ramifications for the local Australian agencies. Um, at the moment, uh, WPP, with its new leader, Mark Reid, it's unfortunate timing to lose these two accounts because speculation begins that, oh, post-Sorrel, WPP is crumbling. And I don't think that's the case. I think they probably would have lost these accounts with or without Sorrel. Yeah. But beyond beyond this week, global media reviews have really ramped up and we've seen decisions made on a, a global level for brands like Adidas, Mondelez, Hyundai, Shell, CB, GSK, Mercedes. The list is, is really long. And these global alignments, when I speak to people, are classified as a free kick for Aussie agencies, basically handed account with little work. Or, you know, they're, they're gutting because I really they mean an account like Mondelez, $40 million, that's, you know, that's a lot of heads, that's a lot of heads that you've got to find new jobs for. Or really, unfortunately, the, the reality in this business is they're made redundant. Um, so local agencies in Australia uh, often kind of suffer at the hands of these global alignments, being such a small slice of the pie because it's really given little consideration. If you're someone in America and you're, you know, you you want to go with BBDO, you're probably not going to think about Australia with that might be 10 millions of your 150 billion dollar marketing spend. Mm. Uh, and something that I'm having a lot of conversations with people about is these global reviews come largely come down to price. And I'm not saying all of them because I don't want to taint everyone with the same brush, but a lot of them, I'm told, are decided on price. Uh, with Australia being... Who tells you that? The losing agency. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Basically. But you yeah, know what? It's, it's true. It's it's no secret that you hear about, oh, pant dropping and all this, you know, prices coming down. Um, it's it, it's a tough one. And I think it's a, it's a sad short straw for Australia that... It's, it's just an unfortunate reality. I think even I've had a few, obviously, off the record conversations with agencies that have been part of Global Alignments that have won the account, but it's such a small margin that they have to agree to as part of the global deal that it's not creating a sustainable business, which is where it does really become an issue. Agencies in this market are left with a market that is just not going to make your agency profitable. The small market could work in a in a market like America or the UK, where kind of the sheer amount of work can validate the small mar- 
small margin. Uh, but some, uh, you know, often Australian agencies are just kind of mm. left with mm. the short straw. and Maybe the benefit, yeah, I guess the benefits aren't as real. I guess there's prestige with some of those brands. For example, I know Adidas, for, oh, I can't remember now offhand, but I just assumed it had this big media spend, went to Nielsen, and they were like, oh, it's 700,000. You know, sometimes much, having the yeah. prestige of that of that brand can also potentially help help win pitches as well. But yeah. yeah, and I don't want to discredit, I think it was Mediacom that won Adidas. I don't want to discredit those wins because some of them – Australia really is involved, but largely we're not. You know, I ring and say to local agencies, hey, heard you just wanted this account. And they're like, we know nothing about it. We mm. don't even know if we're going to be servicing it here. We don't know what it means for our com- compet- uh, competitive clients. You know, sometimes there's conflicts. So. Yeah, that's true. It's a, it is a shame. Yeah, but I think, I think you know, and it's a, it's a big issue that, and it's one that I'm, I'm definitely looking at the moment as these smaller margins, they do lead to agencies having to, you know, cut their senior management, hire juniors who become overworked. And it just makes business and agencies unprofitable. And then they end up re- relying on rebates. So it's kind of that. And that's another podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, while some wins have benefits for local agencies, I, I, I would argue that these global alignments cannot always be a good thing for Australian agencies. And I mean, that's my opinion. You know, everyone has my email if they want to challenge me on that one. <laughs> and it's something we'll continue to look in further, into further with, with more features and more details on that. Definitely. That's it from us from the news desk. Next up, we'll be joined by the Toms. I'm now joined by MNC Saatchi longtime leaders, Tom Derry and Tom McFarlane, better known as the Toms, who in 2017 entered the Ad News Hall of Fame. Welcome, Tom and Tom. Hi, guys. Good to see you. And our editor, Pippa Chambers. Hello. You were the first duo to enter our Hall of Fame together, and you have a relationship spanning back uh, longer than most marriages. How would you describe your relationship, and how have you kind of not got a divorce yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been uh, it, it's it's lasted, and it's lasted because we've never worried about how long the relationship's been. It just happens. Uh, it happens every day. Uh, has happened. Uh, in work, in play. So I think, uh, you know, we we work well together, obviously. Um, but I think as Tom has often said, it's, it's really a, it's a friendship as well. So that engenders trust enormously. And, and uh, it means uh, whenever we hit bumps in the road, we can deal with it. Mm. I, th- I, think, I think the other thing which might have mentioned on the night was that um, we very have very clearly defined roles and we just we trusted the other person to fulfill that the responsibility of that role so if I was Tom never ever and people ask me all the time how sticky fingered was he with the creative and uh, he <laughs> never was in fact it would be the other way if I had doubts about an idea especially for a pitch I would go to him and, and I would value that opinion but I didn't seek it and he never uh, forced his opinion on me. So, and likewise, sort of running the business. Obviously, creative people aren't that good at running businesses. <laughs> and and Tom, to his credit, would make me sort of look at numbers and things, and you know, I'd sort of <laughs> blank over a bit. But he made me take an interest in the business, and then obviously take a much bigger interest in the business. So, they're very complementary and very complementary skills. Which um, have you ever, uh, you know, clashed heads or got into any? Uh Things that we want to bring yeah. back up right now. <laughs> no, we thought about that. I don't think so. 
I mean, we, we probably had different, uh, sometimes had different thoughts, but not important enough to make an issue of because of what Tom said. If it was a creative thing, it's sort of, I might have had some thoughts and views, but, uh, and sometimes I'd, I'd share them, but I knew that was Tom's decision. And so it never worried me. And I suspect vice versa. There were decisions I made in the business and pitching and all sorts of things that Tom probably thought, I don't know, you know, it was a bit odd, mm. sometimes disagreed, but in the end said, righto, let's go. Uh, so I think it stems back to the point Tom made, and that is we, we've got complementary skills and we sort of, well, we, we respect each other's uh, area of expertise and, and felt comfortable in that person making the decision, whatever it was. Um, I think if you're working with a friend, with someone who's become a friend, you give you cut your friend slack, don't you, rather than just someone yeah. that's been – you know, head office is sent to run the business mm. and here's your new partner, which has happened to me in past lives. I inherited my early years at, say, JWT and places like that. Someone would be transplanted from Chicago and Tom get along with him. Whereas this kind of grew and if you're a friend, you just, I just, you're a bit more forgiving or you'll go, yeah, you, this is your win. You win this one rather than have a, a Barney about it. Mm. Um, we argue about football. I was going to say, you obviously talk about having a friendship you know, outside of work, when you're hanging out or you're you're doing things, how hard is it not to talk about work? Pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask our wives, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> our kids. <laughs> like, the yeah. the football, um, the sport thing you just mentioned, that was your biggest fight ever, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well have you you've been to the MSC Sachi offices? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. We, we sat up at that upper level. And we would argue about football on Monday morning, but it was just, it was banter, but very loud banter and probably um, a lot of swearing. <laughs> and new people down that lower level would go, what are they doing? And like people like Ben Welsh would go, oh, they're just, just talking about the football on the weekend. <laughs> Everyone else thinks the company's falling to bits. <laughs> yeah, so they think you've lost your biggest client yeah, yeah, and yeah. the yeah. agency's over. <laughs> Yeah. What were the, um, those early days like at MNC? Because obviously it's such a juggernaut today, but you guys, you know, were there from the, the very first day. Uh, so talk us, talk us through what it used to be like. Well, I think from my point of view, it was, uh, you know, you know, are we going to survive till tomorrow? Is really the sort of process you go through, and uh, that's what it was like for probably the first couple of years where every day, every week, every month, you'd be saying, now, how am I going to get through the next month? Um, as anyone that started a business has gone through. Um, but, but after the first sort of 12 months or so, uh, Tom arrived and, and life changed because I had a partner that I felt really comfortable with and uh, felt that we, we could do anything. Uh, it was just a matter of people wising up to the potential we have to help them. <laughs> and and so life changed. Um, but that first period, you know, is really one of survival. You know, you call up your mates and say, can we just fit a few people into your office? And we had a publishing mate that allowed us to, to use a room and then we became pests. So he got rid of us. And, <laughs> and then we found, uh, you know, the end of a three-year lease 
was available and it was furnished and we got it for a good price so we stayed there for a little while and we got to 27 people with one toilet yeah. Regardless, of, Tom would have stayed because the deal was so good. Yeah, but, I just don't know what the problem was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20, one toilet. How many women were there? What, what was, well, how many women were there back then? Yeah, it was pretty even split, actually. Oh, but it, was, it, was, it was pretty horrible. But then we hit, yeah, we made it, we got to Macquarie Street, which was. Yeah, it's amazing. The beautiful building. Well, we had another one on Macquarie Street, actually. Yeah, the, the office you know uh, was the second office we had in Macquarie. Right. We. we uh, we, you know, we started winning a few accounts, and and we needed more space, and and my dream was always Macquarie Street. I think it's the most elegant street in Sydney, and that's where I always wanted to work as a kid growing up. You know, right. that's where I wanted to work, and so this this space came up at one thirty one Macquarie Street, and it was a whole floor. Now we only needed half a floor, and so the debate was. Do we take this big gamble? It's twice as much space as we need, but hopefully we are going to grow. But gee, it's maybe more than we can afford. Anyhow, we took the punt and we said, "Bugger it, let's go for it." Um, and we did, and we ended up with twelve floors. And the thing, Not about, twelve. Sorry. Not twelve. How many? Nine or no, seven? Oh, you said, no, <laughs> seven. I thought Close. the floor. The, the, no, we had eight. <laughs> no, we had eight. We had eight. And, we'll have an and, argument about them. Yeah, and <laughs> so the eight. floor plates. The floor plates were very small, so that's why we had eight floors, and each floor was strata title. So we had to negotiate with each of the landlords, and you know, up and down stairs and all that stuff. But it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic, and that kept us for. You know, 11 years, yeah, so. 10, 11 years. It was fantastic. Yeah, and then so. then we still needed much more space because we were running out of space. And uh, we found, again, we just insisted, you know, on staying in Macquarie Street. And people said, well, you know, we've you know, the guys looking for space said, well, we've looked everywhere. There's nothing in Macquarie Street. So Tom and I went for a walk. And we went down Macquarie Street and we saw this fantastic building next to the Intercontinental. And we said, what's wrong with this building? It was boarded, pretty much boarded up. Yeah. 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 And we said, what's wrong with this building? And the agent said, well, no, it's impossible. So we said, well, look, let's talk to the owners and let's see what we can do. And it turns out it was owned by the Malfa Group who owned the Intercontinental. And, and, and we got to speak to them and said, look, why do you have, you know, what are you doing with this building? And they said, look, we only have this building to protect the Intercontinental you know, from right. someone building on it and all that stuff. And and we said, well, can we talk to you about doing something? And, uh, you know, long, long story short, they agreed to completely renovate to our specifications. Wow. Uh, and, you know, spent probably $20, $30 million. It was huge. Um, but we took a long-term lease. So everyone was a winner. They were winners. We were winners. And uh, we just love the building we're in. I, love, I mean, I love that building. When I don't work in it. I'm really happy where I am. But uh, I just walked into that. And it was, you know, all those um, beautiful floors. Mm. They were covered by really old carpet. And, and a lot of the... That Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. 
From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Probably marbling was on the walls was painted. Yeah. So we had the restoration was extraordinary uh, and everything had to be repaired. But I just liked it was a big statement. About, I felt mm. like it was who we were at that stage as well. Mm. Um, and that was, I think, the brashness. That One of the questions I think you know, we touched on last time we met was that how did other people see us in the industry? And I think that was a very good example of here's who we are. So you yeah. think you can tell a lot from someone by their offices? Uh, yeah, well, I think that at that time was interesting because nearly everyone was going to Piermont, Ultimo, uh, down where uh, uh, Leo's are now. And we, of course we went and looked at that. But um, no, I just thought, I, I think Tom always, the other reason you always did like Macquarie Street was because... It was pretty beautiful, but it, it, Tom used to say, it's the big end of town, we're a business. And, I, you know, I, it was so true that we didn't have to be another warehouse. I mean, everyone was in a warehouse yeah. in Ultimo by that stage, and DDB had gone there, TBWA had gone there. So it was that separation as well. And um, I think the only downside is... So clients just to walk in and think we must be really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, well, or you're charging them way too much. <laughs> yeah, charging them too much. But, um, I, always yeah. thought, I always thought we never charged enough, actually. Yeah, but, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that the building, you're right, represents really well the MNC's Archie brand and what I know about you guys. Uh, we've spoken a lot about the, the early stages of MNC and that brashness you're talking about, as well as, you know, the MNC Saatchi brand is famous for pitching, the pitching pizzazz. Uh, how do you think that approach and the way that you entered the market, being bold, being, you know, quite sexy and investing in things like buildings, do you think that ruffled some feathers with other agencies that were in warehouses? Hmm. I think we ruffled feathers in a lot of ways and uh, it wasn't always intentional, but I think what, I think we were unpredictable is a pretty good word. Yeah. We never had a house style creatively, you know, like. A lot of agencies, less so these days, but they used to, you could identify a campaign palisade, you could yeah. identify a DDB ad. So we're quite unpredictable in the way we operated. And certainly the way Tom got us on lists for business, it took about, you know, just amazing actually. Um, um, so when we got a, on a list, they were never quite sure what we were going to do. Um, so... Is it just on that? Is that is that a good or a bad thing to be very predictable? You know, because I'd imagine from an agency kind of an ego point of view, like oh, everybody knows that's ours, that's our style. But it, it, I'm not sure is that a good or a bad thing. Well, I don't think so. I think I think every problem is is bespoke, and in fact, one of our catch cries, particularly when it comes to pitching, is you know th there should be no one pitch the same. You know, agent. I've seen agencies in a, in a former life and competitors. They have a standard way of pitching. You know, we've got this presentation. We've got this is what we say, and this is how we do it. And you know, there's a whole process. Well, I hate that. 
But what if you've won that, but you've absolutely smashed it out of the park and you're like, well, this works, let's do it for another. Well, uh, no, it's like mm. good ideas. Mm. I mean, you know, th- there are plenty of ideas out there. You just you, you just need to keep looking and keep applying. But by focusing on the bespoke, it means our absolute focus is on this particular client at this moment in time. We're not comparing them to anyone else. We're not applying the same things we've done to other people. We're simply focused on the problem at hand. How do we win this pitch? What do we need to do to demonstrate to our client that we can solve their problems and help them better than anyone? And nothing else matters. Our positioning, our ego, our processes don't matter. And and by being bespoke, it meant Tom and his team could could take any approach they wanted, which is terrific. Mm. Sorry, Tom, um, I did realise I did cut you off there when you were No, 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 you're fine. No, you're fine. <laughs> and and from, a a, from an approach point of view, it, 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 as Tom said, it, it made us very unpredictable. Our competitors, I suspect, were a tad worried if they saw us on the pitch list, not because of our talent or abilities, but because, oh, God, what are these guys going to do? That's all. Um so I think I think the bespoke approach uh, I feel very strongly about. Felt very strongly about. Any um, any kind of uh, you know stories from where you feel like you really pushed the boat out that was maybe a bit wild back then compared to to these days? Any? Uh... We were very showy, you know. We were uh, the way I grew up in advertising in Melbourne, and I had some great mentors along the way, and there was always a bit of a showbiz element to it. So the minute you walked into, you, you, we. <laughs> Well, the great thing about Tom was yeah, we come with ideas for things and they, co- they often cost a lot of money. And I think probably even this day and age, I'm not talking about MSC Sarchi per se, but, you know, we, we spent money. And if we had an idea we want to do something or a stunt or a thing, you know, Tom would sign, would normally <laughs> sign off. Well, you know, the most famous one is ANZ. And I won't go through it because everyone knows that story. That was like something from... Um, oh, just, the, just sum it up for those that don't. Oh, it's not a short story, but um, do you want do you want to talk about how you got the lead? Well, I mean, it just as as short as possible. <laughs> uh, you know, we we were two years old, less than small, two very le- small. Le- less than two years old, a, a small agency in Sydney, and the ANZ Bank was up for pitch, and uh, you know, in we, Melbourne, we, in Melbourne, and we'd had dialogue with them because we, you know, I, I happen to know them pretty well. And, and they were terrific. They, they told us about, you know, the, the key decision maker told us that, oh, look, there is a pitch on, yes, yes. And uh, have you got any clues for me on how I would handle the pitch? And I advised him. And, and I said, but, mate, why aren't we on a pitch? And he said, oh, Tom, he said, come on. He said, you're a small agency in Sydney. What chance you got? And I said, wait a minute. And I talked him around. And I said, look, let me demonstrate that being in Sydney and not having an office is not an issue. The only thing that counts are the people working on your business to solve your problems. And we've got a group that can work on your business and solve your problems better than anyone. And if you don't look at us, you're crazy. And he agreed. And he said, well, how you, you know, I've got a whole committee to prove, you know, that this is okay. I said, look, next Friday... You be standing outside your office at 10 a.m. in the morning. We will have cars to pick you up and your team and take you to our new agency in Melbourne and introduce you to the people that will actually work on your business and solve your problems and answer your brief. 
I said, give me that. And he said, fine. So Been thinking you were crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Nutter. And then I sort of walked into Tom's office and said, mate, uh, we got this opportunity. <laughs> and then off we went. And Tom, why don't you tell well, the we story? Did, we, um, we had friends in Melbourne had an agency that was actually Wells Nobo, Al, David Nobo. They had a direct marketing operation at that stage. And I knew they had a building in Carlton in Melbourne. It had a front entrance and a back entrance. And I knew the back entrance they didn't really use much, so it rang up. And, you know, that's what I love about the advertising industry. It's quite, you know, it's generous in spirit for the most <laughs> part. So they said, I, I said, can I use the back of the building, the car park bit? And I went, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I had a, a set builder yeah. mate in Melbourne who basically built, rebuilt a set, which was the MNC Saatchi office. We shipped signage down, we had the car park, we had the names of the client in the <laughs> car where they could park their car. We brought the receptionist down. Even the magazines. Yeah. <laughs> Even wow. that news. <laughs> so, uh, um, so there the driver picked them up and they brought them to MSC Saatchi Melbourne. And uh, I mean, the, and the, the cell was, it's, it's just a building, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like it, that's easy to call an agent. It's the people. It's the people. Yeah. It's the ideas. And, it's the quality of thinking. And we presented ideas on that day and um, we, that well, were off and running. Well, we? they just, the, the guy, the, the chairman of this uh, selection committee stood up and said, I don't care what you guys think. He said, these boys are on the shortlist. <laughs> and then it was on. And then we had a whole shortlist process to go through. But I think that, the, you know, the hard bit was getting onto that mm. shortlist, and then it was just up to the talent we had in the agency to win the business. That's crazy. Mm. But um, I, look, there's been lots of them, and the, I mean, the other one which was really pivotal was Vodafone, and we're still very small. And again, Tom somehow got us into the onto the list, and um, we, we only we were very late on it. We had about I don't know about a week or. Not much more than a week, yeah. so we, we we had to resent on a Monday. So we worked all week, and we just had no ideas. We had no ideas, no ideas, no ideas. So like on a Saturday, we still haven't got an idea. It's a horrible, gut-wrenching, mm. suicidal sort of feeling, really. Um, and at that time, the Seinfeld television show was the biggest thing on television. It was, like, loved universally. Too, probably too young to remember that. But, um, oh, huge Seinfeld fan. Can, <laughs> but, but the most loved that. character was Kramer. Yeah. So we said the whole – and uh, Vodafone was not like, you know, they'd come in here, they'd fail, they had no personality. So we decided to put up Kramer, not really having – because it was the weekend, we couldn't call anyone in LA and say, would this guy do the commercial? So we had a cutout of Kramer made and we went to, <laughs> went to the presentation and we covered it in black cloth – and we said, you know, your company has no personality. You're going to go broke in this country if you don't have a personality. You haven't got much time, so why don't you borrow someone else's personality? And we <laughs> whipped the black cloth off this life-size figure. <laughs> and the guy said, you can't get him. You won't get him. Tom goes, we will get him. I said, have you got him? Well, we're in dialogue with his management, you know. We've <laughs> got this thing going. So the guy called you in the car, didn't he? Yeah. And said, if you can get him, you've got the business. So that was and what we, that was a, and then uh, I mean then there's a, a great story because you know we did get in touch with the management and there were discussions but you know these things are real yeah. and go and the clients <laughs> waiting and saying listen you know that so I said to Tom Tom you know there's only one way we're going to do this 
He said, he said, I said, you're going to have to jump on a plane to LA <laughs> and you're going to have to beat the door down. And so Tom, to his credit, just literally that afternoon, jumped on a plane, ended up in Los Angeles, waited for eight hours outside the manager's office. Terrible people. They were just rude. They were awful. And Tom literally busted the door down and said, look, here's the idea. Here's the deal. What about it? And he got the deal. And and I remember him calling me and, and calling the whole of us. Their whole team was yeah. sort of waiting breathlessly, and 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 we called the client and said, "Yeah, well, what's the problem? You know, let's go. Where, where do we sign yeah. a contract?" And then we inherited Kramer, who was the most terrible, so hard to work with, oh, really? yeah. the nightmare. Yeah, but but that was a good story. You know, we were kind That's of a great story. we kind of threw caution to the wind a bit because we had to. Because mm. we, I think that the pitching thing was, people go. I think it was, it was sort of somehow injected into our DNA because we had no bit. We had to. We're constantly pitching. That's how you. Mm. How you. There's no other way to grow a business because we were never really going to get much global business. We weren't going to sit there like because M and C Saatchi really didn't have any in London. Mm. To be honest, but we had a great. We had a great heritage. The Saatchi name mm. uh, really, you know. Is tantamount to doing crazy things, and and nothing is impossible. And so that was a that was a great. It was actually a mantra, didn't you? Yeah, know that? yeah, yeah. yeah it so. was something that that actually gave us a lot of freedom uh, to try sort of crazy things because it it came from that heritage, and thankfully they've still got it today. Um, I don't know if you've seen the yeah, the, the fifty year campaign yeah, thing, which I think is brilliant. I think yeah. uh, there's a. I don't know if you've seen it, but but there's a a special issue of Campaign Magazine um, that came out, and there was just a fantastic piece, uh, as it happens on Morris and and Murray McLennan, our CEO worldwide, and uh, it's just it just says everything about the Saatchi approach to the world. It's terrific. It's worth reading. Yeah. Oh, I'm talking about the front cover, weren't we? Mm. That name brings a burden. I remember coming up, you know, moving from Sydney from DDB. I was the executive creative director in Sydney, and a good big a, we were a good big agency, and we had a lot of business then. And uh, but I remember thinking, gee, that Saatchi mm. and all that legacy that came with. And I remember the first few pieces of work we had to go and show Morris in London. And God, I say, I've never been so nervous really because we didn't have much work, and I thought I just want to show them some good work. And but they were they were fantastic, you know, and, and they were so supportive. Oh they? yeah, yeah. Right, so. Do you guys feel a lot of pressure, I guess, to continue that legacy? Obviously, um, Tom at Greenhouse, which is M&C Saatchi's Woolworths spin-off, um, and the other Tom, Tom Derry, uh, you know, in the main M&C Saatchi business. Do you feel pressure to keep that, you know, legacy going? Yeah, very much. So. I don't mm. think that – I think you've always got that blowtorch on you. It's not just us. I mean, other agencies have it as well. But I think they are, that it, it's – yeah, it's probably slightly more, slightly more burdensome. Because of that, but um, it's been. I think any like Drogue could probably have that as well. I thought mm. that would have kind of impacted on them here and there's other ways. I mean, GDB had you know, the Burnback heritage. Uh, Burnback heritage. Um, you, you did feel it there, but not quite as much as with the Saatchi name. Because I mean, that has spectacular. You know, so the, everything mm. they did was pretty spectacular. People in people not in our industry know Saatchi. That, that that's just one of the names yeah. that carry through. Yeah. 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 
And in what year did you guys win the Ad News Agency of the Year Award? Because you said that that was quite significant to the yeah, agency. Yeah, I told you I've got, you know, I've got the pitch. I know. I, I said you need to send did it I to Did I send it to you? From the archives. I don't think you did. I've actually got it because I got it to... the first year. Yeah, because Tom yeah. preceded me and I joined that later because I chose, you know, we, we'd worked together at DDB, you know that. So he made a decision to come here and I was pretty happy at DDB time and uh, so the 1996 agency of the year and it's compared to what it has become now mm-hmm. but it was still sought after obviously you know it was really people wanted to win it and um, it's a very again because you know we always tried to have a bit of chutzpah with it, whatever we did and a very cheeky front cover because it said you know, because we were the new agency. And the headline on the front cover said, how can you be agency of the year in 1996 if you were built in 1956 or something? You know, it's about yeah. we do it differently and they're all old and they're antiquated and passe mm-hmm. and all that. So, and that was the angle that we doing everything differently. We had a village thing. Yeah. And we, uh, but I'll, give, I'll, I'll show yeah. it to you. It's yeah. not, it's, and it's flimsy. It's got this yeah. little black, you know, those... Those binders used yeah. to put on things. And ring, a, ring binders. Well, not even that. It's just plastic. Yeah. The cello cover. and um, But, yeah, we, we won. It was really so important. Uh, How did the awards go down back then? What was the drinking like then? <laughs> well, it was another excuse. I mean, yeah. every day was a party yeah. in those days. Yeah. Um, well, most famous, the most famous one was at the, what is now the, um, used to be the region, what is it now, the um, big hotel. The region. Yeah. Uh, the Four Seasons. The Four Seasons. Yeah. Fist fight, so between who? <laughs> oh, well, neither of them around now, but one, one remember, no, I'm sure I'm not saying that, <laughs> but, but people did pretty out there, you know. People, if you look around now, it's pretty well the, the, during the show, yeah. I don't think we've heard about fisticuffs. Oh, yeah, there was me, oh, more recently, a few years ago, I think there was media agency scuffle in a pub, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but not so much the fisticuffs, no, but that was that was very important that. That award and the the two things that happened that year at almost same time is we picked up some project we picked up some McDonald's business and um, you know we picked up a couple of a couple of products you know, like uh, different burgers and things because we knew someone there but we milked it for PR we got which because yeah. we got scrap the scrapbooks back at night you know we used to receptionist who's still a mate and she would cut them out and paste them and we had these yeah, big, books these huge like and I it's so I don't know where they are but they so on McDonald's was the MNC Sarchi wins McDonald's they wouldn't sort of say we'd won no. <laughs> the <laughs> apple pie <laughs> yeah <laughs> the happy meals no the happy meals would have been bigger yeah I but think. Tom Tom invented uh, you know McGoz which is still going that today. was one of the ones yeah they oh, wanted yeah, to have an Australia so we inherited the McGoz burger yeah. they said and and we put beetroot in it. And, uh, wow. It pops up about every three years. I think I should be getting a royal, yeah, no, royalty. Yeah, I do oh, remember sure. that coming up because I remember, yeah. I wouldn't mind a royalty on that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind a royalty on a lot of things The more as I get older. <laughs> I'd be living quite well if I, I did. So, so just on that subject, when you know, you're obviously winning clients, you know, especially in those early days, how kind of personally do you take it when a client, when a client leaves? If you've been Very personally. Some, how do you? Oh, it was just, it was, it was uh, unacceptable. I mean, it, it actually took a while for us to lose a big client. And I mean, it, was, really. <laughs> it, was, it was a big hit to us. Yeah. 
I can't tell you. How does it go down? Is this like people go home? This is you hit the pub? Is this just what what happens? Well, in my case, I felt, you know, one of the important things you need to do as a leader in an agency is, is retain confidence so that you people know this is A, a safe place to work. I'm going to have a, a career here. This is an exciting place to work. I can get on and do things. And you can only do that with customers. Mm. And if you lose a customer, that gets threatened. And I always felt the pressure of, oh, my God, what's the impact going to be on our teams? On the really high quality, I thought very high quality people we've got, are they going to lose confidence? And and that's that was the first impulse I had when we lost a big account. It didn't happen very often, but when it did, it, to me it was devastating, devastating, and 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 it made me angry and self-reflective. You know, we used to get, sit down and say, right, you know. This cannot happen again. What happened? Why? How? How did we get to this point? Uh, it, it it was the biggest tragedy, you know, in our lives. You know, to lose a big okay, piece of business. It, it, it can kind of, you know, if you've got a fighting spirit, which I think the agency did. Uh, you know, the classic one was when we lost Woolworths, and I really love that account, and that's probably why I do what I do now. But we'd had it for 12 years, and, and it doesn't matter why, but it was very, our, our dismissal was incredibly unfair. But apart from that, there were 30, hmm. 35 people, and, they, and your mates, you spend a lot of time together in agents. You get very close, and you understand that you know people's partners and their kids and all that. And um, so we lost it, and about, the, about a week later, Tom got on the combank list, and the, the the word the kind of bringing together of everyone is we didn't fire anyone we're very not many people yeah. were not fired but let go we hung on to people in the hope we would get combat and and the what's the word you know the melding of people to win that combat yeah, people, were, people virtually worked yeah. boxing day they didn't work christmas day but they worked boxing day but we had to win it so there's it's a great in a funny way it's a perverted way so mm. an impetus to Mm. win more and you're going to load up the truck again yeah and that's the business you can't see we had probably you know in our time together we had one bad run where we lost three major accounts all nothing to do with us one of them was Woolworths. the other was Qantas who'd been with us for 15 15 who was the third one there was a there was a no I tell you it was where you were up or there was Qantas, uh, oh, Optus, was an Optus, an Optus repitch. It's like so, Armageddon. Big, big so yeah, we had is... we had three clients within a day, really, not for any fault of our own. Suddenly, either gone or at risk. And I remember that was just the worst period. But the interesting thing that came out of that was, as Tom said, our response, and our response was one of a fighting spirit. We said, okay. Let's go. What have we got to do to keep these three or win or replace these accounts? And, you know, um, we talked about earlier the support we get from our, our partners in London. And for the first time, you know, in the seven or eight years we'd been together, they got a bit worried. <laughs> it was the first time. And we said, look, just relax. We we got to go. We, we're going to have a real red hot go at this. And to their credit, they did. 
and and uh, really rooted for us. And we ended up replacing Woolworths with the Commonwealth Bank, retaining Optus, and we picked up another something, account. Something else at the time. Yeah, picked up another account. So we were we we're actually ahead mm. of where we were before this crisis. But um, that was our worst experience of losing mm. business. And it happens. Uh, it happens. Any of those three accounts were out of our control. Um, Pitching is an encumbrance. The, the real is a different. Mm. That's, that's really hard to. Which is an incumbent because mm. clearly enough people are not happy with you to want to move on. Yeah. So keeping Optus in that one was um, yeah. pretty amazing, actually. So, so the important thing to us is losing an account was the response. That to me is is the real thing to watch when you lose an account. How do you react? Because uh, it happens, mm. and there's not a lot you can do sometimes. Especially with those big, you know, those incredible, incredible yeah, brands. Yeah. Um, is, is there any brands that you have always wanted to work on, never had the opportunity, any verticals, anything that you think, do you know what, this this would really make my career even better? I, I, well, I, I really just like big canvases and a lot of crepe. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm less interested in small, uh, I just like big, big ones. <laughs> well, because you know, they've got a lot of money, which mm. is great, so you can do big, big work for them. Um, I, personally, I, I just have, you know, this, this is what I'm working on, and I'm going to love this, and this is the product I love, and I'm going to drive that car, or I'm going to buy that soft drink, and, and you take it on. Um, no, I don't think I've ever... Oh, not really. Yeah. The only there's one area we oh, have tourism. Well, tourism's not yet. Yeah, tourism we've had great success, but we never we pitched for every state tourist body, and never got one. Never got one. We got tourism Australia. We got tourism New Zealand. We got a whole bunch mm-hmm. of international tourism accounts, but we've never got. Why is that? What was the feedback? I don't know. It, it was just one of those things. I started to get gun shy. Well, I think we've just done another one. Mm. Um, well, there's a, yeah, there's a couple out there at the moment. Yeah. So I'm sure you threw your yeah. hat in the ring for them. Um, I mean, it's just weird. I think it's, I'm not quite sure why, but mm. it was one area. It was one vertical. In spite of our great success in tourism, per se, we never were able to win a state account. And uh, it never worried me because we mm. did a lot of tourism work, but it, it's it just came to mind. Tourism's really. nice. Airlines are nice. Yeah, I like airlines. You know, I've done VA and Qantas and most recently Eddie had. Uh, they're fun. Mm. And it's got scale. Yeah. Uh, it's got they're glamorous. So there's definitely no denying your legacy with all these great stories, uh, which was recognised in the 2017 Hall of Fame. What what did that award mean to you guys winning that? Well, I tell you what, for me, it was because it just made me recollect it just made me stop and think because you don't, you know, you just kind of get go back to where you began with the, the day you life. And it did stop, and make me reflect, and uh, on, oh, what what an amazing. You know, I was talking to Tom the other day. I said, you know, if because I started work sort of a week after I turned eighteen, straight out of high school, and if someone had of if written down what my life was going to be and what all the things, all the people I'd meet and um, all the experiences I'd have in this business and stuck in, a, stuck in an envelope, I, I wouldn't have believed it, you know, because that wasn't, I never thought my life could 
the, um, it's fulfilling. You know, you could get a job. My father never had a job he liked very much. Um, so for me, that's what it just reminded me of. And I, I think on the night, it was just in that room. I just, there were so many people that, incredibly talented people and just uh, people I really like that had come through through the agency. The alumni. Yeah, yeah the alumni. from the, 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 and that, that was really gratifying for me. Um, it was a pretty amazing night. <laughs> so thank you. Um, Pleasure. Uh, I, like I just, I just love this, love this business. So. Yeah. I just felt incredibly humbled, actually. You know, when you look at the people that that Ad News has brought into the Hall of Fame, I mean, really outstanding people. And to think that uh, you know, I could be part of that was fantastic. Uh, uh, really humbling. Uh, um, that's that's the overwhelming thing. Obviously, it's an important signpost in your own career. You sort of take a moment and think about it. Uh, but but uh, I, I really felt uh, humbled more than anything. It's just a great uh, accolade, uh, unexpected, and and, uh, and and sadly, I think it was David Yaffa that called us. Oh, really? And you know, in his recent passing, I that was my first reaction. That I got this wonderful gentleman on the phone. I happened to be in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or somewhere, and um, I get this call, and it's he introduces himself and and invites us to the Hall of Fame, and said, "Look, do you mind sharing it with your partner Tom McFarlane?" And and of course I was delighted. I said, "Well, it could be no better. I mean, that's perfect." But the fact that he was sensitive to mm, that, the yeah. fact that um, he was so gracious, so um, it meant a lot when when I heard of his uh, passing, and he obviously um, he obviously built um, this concept. Well, yeah, I mean, right it, from I mean, the start, yeah, we're not ninety years this year, you yeah, know, and he yeah. was a huge part of it, um, and. Yeah, just an yeah, incredible legacy. And, you know, it was incredible for you guys to, to feature in the Hall of Fame and obviously massively deserved. And, you know, for us as well, you know, we may not have worked, obviously, in the industry as long, but, you know, hearing these stories and going, you know, it, it's just it's just awesome and helps us kind of understand a lot more about the industry and how far we've come. Definitely. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Pleasure. We've loved thank having you. you on. Thank you. That's it from us on the Ad News Podcast, recorded at Forbes Street Studios. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.